Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. The focus of today's show is Estonia and Scandinavia. These are areas where several of us have worked, and I have some very interesting guests today that will talk about some of the work that they have done in this part of the world. My two guests are Johnny Lambert and his son, Bryant Lambert. We have worked together for more than 25 years, and actually I've known his son longer than that because he was on a Russian tour back in 1984 or 1986. We have worked with media, we have worked with the church, preaching the gospel into all the world as a witness. I first of all want to welcome Johnny Lambert. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Victor. It's good to be here and good to see that uh, some information is being uh, disseminated to people who have an interest in, in particular in this part of the world. But we all have an interest in this part of the world because the gospel of the kingdom, which is going to be preached to all the world for a witness. And so we're happy to be able to be a part of it. People ask me oftentimes, how did you get involved in going to Estonia? Surely you must be Estonian. You must be Estonian, or at least you know the language. And the answer to both of those questions is no. So then I have to enter into an explanation with them about how I got involved in, in uh, serving with you and with uh, people in that area of the world. Well, we have really appreciated that. And you will tell your story, which I feel is amazing. Because this part of the world is very interesting in the fact that in our lifetime, it has changed from being a part of a very repressive USSR, where religion was not allowed to be a country of freedom, where great liberties have been opened to us into preaching the gospel. And that story will be told. And also his son has taken on some of the role. So anyway, please uh, start, Johnny, and give us a little bit of the history. But before, before we do, I'll just say is that I have been involved, and I want to make sure that this podcast is about Johnny and his son. But we started there back when it was still part of the USSR, 1991. And then my first trip there was in 1994, and then it went on from there. And, and some remarkable things have been done in the languages that are spoken in that area. One is Estonian, the language that Johnny says he doesn't speak. The other is the Russian language. But Johnny, tell us what you're doing there. Well, what, we, what we're doing there is uh, since 97, starting about 98, I suppose, we started getting uh, translation of uh, UCG literature from the English language into the Estonian language, first of all, and then subsequently followed that up around the year, starting around the year 2000, with translating literature uh, into the Russian language. Natasha Teague became a big part of, of that uh, effort. So did Thomas Shabak. People, I, 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 I sort of held names back from this report so that maybe if we do another one of these podcasts, I can just talk about those people. But uh, there's a lot of people who have been really involved in doing that. And what we're, what we're doing is we're trying to plant seeds all over now. We, we send literature uh, in, a, in a language that is understood to six different countries. And uh, one of them was Ukraine, and and that's not uh, very viable anymore as far as mailing anything there. But uh, that's what that's what we what we intend to do is to sow seed. Even as you read in Matthew chapter 13, uh, sower goes forth to sow. Well, the the fruit that ultimately comes forth comes forth because somebody went out to sow seed. And so we, we're hoping that what we do and the, what the people who have been associated with the efforts there in that area, including yourself and Beverly and, and Hazel and Bryant, uh, they uh, will uh, produce 
ultimately a lot of fruit as a result of that and bring forth fruit. And they already have, Johnny, because people have been recipients of that seed, not only through the printed literature that you have that we've been promoting in that area, but also through our websites. And people continually come to our UCG website, but they also come to ru.ucg.org, which is the Russian website, and uh, also get information there. We also produce our magazine, our periodical called Beyond Today. It's still called Good News in the Russian language, and that's produced uh, every other month. But you know, at this point, we sometimes forget uh, important things. And one thing that I neglected to mention here is a very important guest. I said two guests that we have here today. We also have Bryant Lambert, <clears throat> Johnny Lambert's son, who has been very involved in his multiple travels over there with his wife and being involved with the work. So, Bryant, please say hello. Good morning, everyone, and hello, Mr. Kubik. Um, thank you for the introduction that you gave. I first met you and Mrs. Kubik. It was in June of 1986. I was graduating high school, and uh, you were sponsoring a trip to the Soviet Union, uh, which was in its waning days during that period of time in the late 80s. And it just so happened that the uh, Chernobyl nuclear accident had occurred in late April or early May. And I remember as an 18-year-old teenager, we were wondering if we were even going to be able to take that trip. But uh, thankfully, God worked it out. And uh, that was really my first contact with that part of the world was uh, with you and Mrs. Kubik traveling there uh, to Russia. And then uh, subsequently, we spent short amount of time in uh, Sweden and in Finland. Well, we remember you well because you were the redhead that stood out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you seem to be unusually interested in that area. And little did we know that we'd be working here uh, 25 years later like the way we do. So anyway, I wanted to introduce you here to our listeners to uh, the Cubic Report. So Johnny, let's go back to you and tell us about what you've been doing. Well. We, we have been translating literature, first of all, Gospel of the Kingdom, which is our first uh, translation effort in whatever language we're working with because it, it matches with what it says in Matthew 24, 14. This Gospel of the Kingdom will be preached in all the world. But we've also translated uh, like uh, 10 other books into the Estonian language and printed them. Also, probably about 15 book, books, booklets now into the Russian language. And we were, until uh, COVID interrupted us, we were printing the, print, printing the inserts from the good news. And by the way, it isn't just Russian which doesn't translate into good news. It's also Estonia. And the name that we have on the literature in Estonia is Hied Sonomit, mm -hmm. which is translated as good news. And so mm -hmm. we, we couldn't we, we didn't we didn't have a beyond today to be able to put it as a title. So we made the title Good News and and we have printed uh, probably for three, four years and distributed those inserts to six different nations every everybody that wants it of course can contact us and we will send it to them we also <clears throat> translated all 12 of the bible course lessons into both estonian and to russian we have we have that literature available in addition to the booklets and the inserts so those are the things that we have been doing and uh, as I said, there are a lot of people that are involved in that. And I'd like to mention right now, but order of things that we could talk about, I thought, well, we should say that there's so much there and in, involved with names of different people and who they are and what they contributed, that uh, that would take a whole uh, program. So I, I, I just held back on that for the most part. But that's Those okay. are the things that we have been doing. That's okay. The names kind of come, come up, and these are people. I, I might just mention that the people that we work with, we have an amazing team that works together. 
We all understand what our mission is, and we are all friends, brothers, and sisters. And I just really appreciate that aspect. There's a sense of transparency in what we're doing. I, I might mention here, too, about the November-December issue of the Russian, trans the Russian version of Beyond Today, which is still good news because Beyond Today doesn't translate well <laughs> into Russian. I, I don't know why, but maybe it's because the Russians are pessimistic about tomorrow <laughs> or Beyond Today. <laughs> but, but anyway, it's, it's good news, and that sounds great for them. But the November-December issue has just come online. It's available at ru.ucg.org. It's just ucg.org, our website, with ru at the beginning, ru.ucg.org, for those of you who want to see what it looks like. But the articles, I might just mention the kind of articles that are there. A world mired in chaos. What is the heart of wars? The true king who will save mankind. And what did the early church believe and practice? Financial stability as a path to peace of mind. And also the last article is keys to a long and healthy life. And it's very beautifully laid out, uh, beautifully done. We appreciate the work that Natalia Weatherhead has done on it. I might mention too, Johnny mentioned 16 booklets. Johnny, are you sure about that? I, I, I think that we have more like 22 or 24 booklets that have been translated. So. No, I don't. I don't really uh, have the the list of those booklets now because they kept going on in Russian, and I didn't necessarily every time they uh, came up with a new book, uh, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't necessarily notified of it. They just sent me uh, sent me a bunch of the books. So if somebody asked for it, I sent it out. But I didn't. I didn't have total control of that and total understanding because effort was being made and things were being accomplished because uh, people took, uh, took the importance of doing that uh, as, a, as a personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that's good. I, I'd like to say one thing too about what you had said. The reason, I don't know the reason in Russian, but the reason in Estonian that they don't have beyond today is because the Estonian language does not have a future tense. <laughs> That's the whole point of our existence. That. That's really funny. But, so, but we didn't have a future tense that we could translate it into, so we had to translate it into Iedzenomid, which is good news. Well, we are giving the Estonians a future, a future tense as part of our part of our mission. Well, that's, that's it. Um, but we started by uh, being invited, uh, the connecting link between, between yourself and myself and other people who are subsequently involved in, in what's going on there was Ozzy Engelbart and Tina Engelbart. Ozzy called in 1997 and said there was going to be a small feast site in Estonia, and you had asked him to find somebody who could come there and speak. And I don't know why he thought I could, but anyway, he called me up. He knew I was looking for a place where I could go and serve. And so he said, would you, would you consider it would be a, a, a potential place where you could serve? Would you be interested in coming there speaking at the Feast of Tabernacles. And I said, yes, I would. Where is it? I don't know if Hazel will come, but I will. So those three things. So I, I told him that I would, and then I had to go get a map out and try and find where Estonia was. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I had agreed to go, and I was, I was enthusiastic about going. I wasn't concerned about if it was in an area of the world that I didn't like, uh, any area would have been fine as far as I was concerned. Mm -hmm. I uh, <clears throat> remember arriving there in Tartu, which is a, it's the second largest city in Estonia. It's about 100 miles south of the capital city, which is on the North Sea, uh, directly across that North Sea, maybe 40 miles stretch from Helsinki. We had taken a trip to 
St. Petersburg, met Ozzy and Tina there, and then we took a bus from uh, St. Petersburg to Tartu, and uh, that bus left uh, St. Petersburg about 10 o'clock in the evening, and we got there at 6 a.m. in the morning. It was a Russian bus. It wasn't anything any too luxurious, (laughs) but... uh, uh, but uh, we en- we enjoyed ourselves on that trip. Hazel and I sat right over the diesel engine in the back of the bus, and uh, there was no heat on the bus, so we were. It was it was a chilly night. The windows started to fog up because of the people inside who were breathing, and they frosted over. And as we made that trip down into Estonia from St. Petersburg, the moon came up and shined on the side of the bus and the windows were illuminated by by that frost and the and the moonlight and uh so Hazel and I enjoyed the the ride together we also were accompanied by Mindy Chalmers, Mindy Chalmers and Lori uh Lambert our daughter who was not not married at the time now she's Lori Holloway and so we arrived there and uh, met you and Darlene Redaway at the bus station, 6 a.m. in the morning. I remember puddles of water that had frozen there as we as we arrived. And so I, re- I re- was... remember that very, very well. I remember that uh, kind of a rickety uh, Russian bus. Russians are not uh, noted too much for comfort. In fact, when they say, please, please lean back and relax at most places, in Russian buses and airplanes, it's lean forward and relax. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) lately, the Russian buses that come to the bus station in Tartu have become uh, very nice buses. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know how long that's going to continue. But uh, a third of the a third of the population in Estonia is Russian. Right. They were brought there by uh, Stalin at the end of World War II to Russify the country, and and he didn't do it just with Estonia. He did it with uh, all of the Eastern European nations to bring Russian-speaking people into those countries. And to and to tie them ultimately to the Soviet Union and to Russia. Well, I know that and, uh, one third of the you said one third of the population is Russian, and the po- total population is 1.3 million. So of Estonians right. themselves, it's less than 900,000 or so, and it's right close to Saint Petersburg, which has a population of four to five million. You have that many yeah. Rus- Russians are breathing down your neck. So it's a very tenuous situation. And I might just add here, one reason why I got so involved is because I'm able to speak Russian and I'm able to speak uh, a little bit of Polish and, and Ukrainian, which is my second language. And I was able to really navigate myself through Estonia pretty well because there was so much Russian. There were Russian radio stations. Uh, cab drivers understood Russian. I, I mean, everybody was, it was very easy to get, to get around. Uh, of course, that has changed some, where people have gone more to their own native language and have replaced Russian with English. It's, it's changed tremendously, Victor. Uh, you you will find on the streets now almost everybody speaks some English, and I and I think this is all related to the internet, wanting to be a part of what's going on on the internet, and they have to learn English in order to be fully involved with that and so that's that's been the driving force uh, that to have occurred and 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 you're right in that 1997 when i spoke every i spoke maybe four or five times at that feast of tabernacles everything that i spoke on had to be translated into russia because the audience didn't understand any english and uh, so we had Darlene Redaway, who was an extraordinary uh, Russian-speaking person, and she was doing part of the translation. But I had my own personal translator, Tina Engelbart, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, she translated all of my messages. 
and uh, it was uh, it was great to work with her. Felt so good about that, and it and it created a bond between us that lasted until well, it's been a few months now since she died. Uh, that was that was the situation lang- linguistically in that in that part of the world. They didn't speak any English, almost no English at all. No, we had and, uh, we had we had tremendous support there from Tina at the very beginning, and and of course Darlene. She was amazing. I had known her from a previous trip I had taken with her to Saint Petersburg. It may have even been Leningrad still at that time, back in nineteen ninety one or nineteen ninety two, and she was uh, uh, an amazing person who knew no Russian but learned it so well that she just could navigate with with anyone in Russia, uh, even with officials, very very well, and uh, she did a real bang up job. And all of and, and all of the Estonian people spoke and understood Russian pretty much all of them at that time, because the Russian government had required that it would be taught to them in the school systems. Mm-hmm. No English allowed, but but Russian was was taught was required. To be taught to everyone. Well, that really changed because I know that in my last trips, I would like call for a taxi and speak in Russian. They would hang up on me. <laughs> Where before <laughs> that was a means to uh, c- communicate. So Johnny, then I know that uh, Johnny took a special liking to the Estonian people. He wanted to, like I said, do his seed sowing project. And of course, he had his son Bryant. I might just mention that Bryant, in his work, is a dentist, and Bryant put you know hours of effort and organization, and we worked around the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a time for us to all be brought together on an annual basis. And one factor too here that Johnny will speak about is the fact that COVID cut out our communication and really put a crimp into our direction, and that's being restored now. Yeah, well, it's about uh, two and a half years we weren't allowed to go back into Estonia because of the COVID restrictions. We languished here in the United States waiting for the opportunity to go back and uh, to be able to resume having the Feast of Tabernacles because almost every year, there might have been one or two years between uh, 97 and I think 2019 was our last year to have the Feast of Tabernacles there in Estonia before we were interrupted for two and a half years. We're not able to, to do any of our literature distribution or any uh, things like the Feast of Tabernacles, not even any Sabbath services. And uh, so a personal, I guess, uh, disappointment for me as well as for a lot of people who were praying for that to be able to resume. And I know there are a lot of people, and I assume a lot of them will be watching this podcast, who are a part of uh, praying for what was going on in that part of the world. We, we resumed now being able to, to do that, and we hope that we'll be able to continue, although there are no guarantees it's a very volatile part of the world. Things can change rapidly uh, there, but we don't see any indication at this point that anything else is going. We had the Feast of Tabernacles this year, and the Feast of Tabernacles, it was uh, a, an extraordinarily good Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, I've been 54 years now to the Feast of Tabernacles. Brian and, and uh, Hazel also have been 54 years to the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, I don't think um, there's any doubt in any of our minds this was one of the premier uh, things that, which have to do with the Feast of Tabernacles. I'll let Brian uh, give his evaluation of it. I thought, but for me, I thought it's one of the top five I've ever been to. Well, I, I know before Brian goes there, it certainly has been one of the most enjoyable and uh, beautiful festival sites we've gone to. And it's one that I would highly recommend for anyone who is looking at exploring a new place in the world because of this. Estonia, 
before the destruction or the falling apart of the USSR was off limits to Western travel. The city of Tartu in particular, which was the base for the bear bomber fleet of the Russians for the Baltic, was totally off limits. And now all of a sudden, overnight, those areas have become free and we're able to operate there. Johnny Lambert owns an apartment building. He might, might want to talk about the fact that he, uh, apartment, I should say, uh, in uh, at Tartu, where he's able to do his work and spend time there. But anyway, Johnny, back to you, and you wanted to have Brian say something. Well, I would just say, as far as a feast site goes, uh, Mr. Kubik, uh, for the longtime members of the church, I would say that the island of Sarama and the... Uh, spectacular coastline of Estonia there is kind of akin to the Jekyll Island of uh, Eastern Europe. It's a small island that's quite isolated and it provides a very beautiful uh, millennial setting um, with beautiful sunsets with the marsh grasses right on the, uh, the coast with the ocean. And what's also very nice about it, and I know Linda expressed this when we were coming back from the feast, that it was so nice to have just such a small, intimate group. We had 39 people there. We had planned on 40, but uh, one person was not able to come. So we had 39 people, and we were just a close-knit group. We were able to have group dinners uh, nearly every evening. We uh, ate breakfast together. Uh, we went to church together. Uh, we did activities together after church. We took tour of tour of the island, uh, an all-day bus trip after church one afternoon. So it's very, very uh, family-oriented. The facility there at the Ghost Spa has uh, wonderful uh, facilities as far as pools and saunas and the opportunities to have uh, spa services, massages, and so on and so forth. So it really, really is a millennial setting, unlike, you know, if you go to someplace in the United States where there's a larger group and you're in a more metropolitan area, and once services are over, people tend to scatter and go their different ways. This is this is just a really a, a picture of the kingdom of God, in, in my opinion. Well, I enjoyed the fact that we could spend time together, and th that was the most exciting activity, was just being together and taking some of the hikes and walks and walking through town. Uh, some of the U.S. sites were around tourist areas where there were pawn shops and all kinds of other uh, things that were very distracting. And in Estonia, you really have nature and the beauty of it, and it's uh, just highly recommended. So this year, we've already negotiated uh, with the ghost spa there in, in Sarama, on the island of Sarama, to have the feast there uh, for 2023. And we're working on the uh, specific details of that. Uh, even as we speak. Oh, that's great, because I was thinking that maybe there was a question, but I'm glad to hear that that's moving moving forward. Well, there are some questions, but we're we're trying to work through them. So, mm -hmm. we're, God willing, that's, that's the plan at, at this point. You might mention that the people of Estonia are more like the Scandinavians. They're like the people in Sweden, and probably more like the people in Finland, more than any other people. They are definitely not like the Russians and their language is in nowhere near the Russian language. Their language is so complex that uh, so very few people speak it, and they say one reason why there's so much good computer code that's uh, written in uh, Estonia is because nobody understands <laughs> what they're saying, <laughs> and only the Estonians know the secret. Yeah, the Estonian language is very, very similar to Finnish. Um, they both have their roots in Hungarian. So... I think one of the main reasons, I mean, you talked about the population of Estonia being so small. I think one of the reasons they've been able to maintain their culture for such a long period of time is because their language is so difficult to learn that they've, to a certain extent, been able to uh, not have a lot of outsiders come in and, you know, infiltrate their culture and language, uh, so to speak. So that's the re one of the reasons, even though they're such a small group of people, they've been able to maintain their culture over, over a long period of time. I'll give, I'll give you one uh, quick, uh, I hope, with, I, I, I can't be quick, I don't know how. But anyway, I'll try to give you one quick uh, explanation of a, of a contact that we have recently had. I got a, a letter, I think it came through Cincinnati, an email from a guy in Siberia ask relevant questions 
I mean, for about the church and about what the church believed. So I had started having communication back and forth between him and three other people who in Siberia, we sent all kinds. I think I probably copied you in on at least part of that, but it seemed like every couple of days there'd be another message. And then I'd have to really spend some time putting together an answer to the questions that they asked. And uh, so that's kind of an indication of how far some of the literature and some of the things that we uh, have done have gone. We even, even had contacts from people in Vladivostok, uh, all the way on the far side of Russia. Uh-huh. So that's, that's some of the indication of the fact that the seeds are, are falling and maybe they will be sprouting. Anyway, I just might mention is that the seed sowing project, but you had been out of pocket for going to those areas. And we not only work with Estonia, but with Scandinavia or the Nordic countries, with uh, Norway, Sweden, and Finland. And could you fill us in on a little bit about starting up the work again? You had been out of pocket for two and a half years, and you went on a tour this summer, in addition to the later trip to the Feast of Tabernacles. Can you tell us a little bit about that, either Bryant or, or Johnny? Um, I'll let Bryant uh, address that. We, we took a trip this summer, and uh, so he can tell you about the trip and the people that we saw and the length of time that it took and the amount of planning that was required. So Brian took care of all of that, and I think he should be the one to address it. Well, I had heard about these legendary trips uh, to Finland and Norway. A little bit from you, Mr. Kubik, but mostly from my, my parents who had been there on several occasions. Probably people need to have some background that we don't actually have any native uh, Finnish or Norwegian people who are in the church. However, we have a family, a small couple that live in Finland and one person who lives in Norway who are actually refugees from the nation of Burma. They are Karens and they were a persecuted minority uh, because of a civil war that took place uh, in Burma really starting after World War II, the nation of Burma began to fall apart with five or six different ethnic minorities uh, warring against each other. And the Korean people uh, eventually were expelled for the most part from the nation of Burma and had to become refugees in the nation of Thailand, which they lived in refugee camps there for many, many years, upwards of perhaps 20 years in the nation of Thailand and then those people many of them were uh, that are in the church today in UCG and they're in places like Oregon and North Carolina they were baptized in the in the refugee camps by Mr. Sexton and then eventually the UN organized a program to take those people and distribute them to different countries that would welcome them and three of our members two of which uh, were taken in by the Finnish government and one was taken in by the uh, Norwegian government uh, in the nation of Norway. So they're very isolated. They don't live close to Oslo, the main capital of Norway, uh, or in Finland, the Margaret and Kloge are not close to Helsinki. In fact, uh, Kloge and Margaret live 500 miles from the city of Helsinki to the north. And if you understand the geography about the three Scandinavian countries of Norway, Sweden, and Finland, they're very, very long countries. They, they extend about a thousand miles from, from south to north, and they're very skinny, narrow countries east to west. So, and they're isolated. There's no other church members there. Uh, they only get to see uh, people of like faith and like mind uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles. So that's the only contact personally that they have during the year. So I know you, uh, in previous years and as well as mom and dad uh, over the over the years have begun to try to do at least one visit with them once a year uh, besides the piece of tabernacle so that we can go up there and fellowship with them and do Bible studies and have some some face-to-face contact with them so this year after the uh, pandemic started to relax 
we after two and a half years we thought it was would be a good time to be able to take a trip in my mind my parents are uh not youngsters anymore my mom's 82 my father is now 80 uh, soon to be 81 in january so i figured at some point in time they're probably not going to be able to make that trip just because of uh they're getting up in age so i thought it might be a good opportunity this past summer uh my father's pounding the table he's he's not he's not agreeing with me but <laughs> uh i figured it'd be a good opportunity for linda and i to start learning the logistics and the geography to be able to start making that trip so if and when they're no longer able to make that trip then linda and i can continue visiting the does and uh giving them some opportunity to see some church members besides just at the feast that's wonderful i just really appreciate this thought of continuing it's uh, it's kind of like picking up the baton uh, uh, with the next generation. The way I look at it, mm -hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying my best to suck them into it. <laughs> well, you've done a good job. I know that uh, Brian and Linda, you know, he's been very busy with his dental with his dental career, and and then he and Linda got married and 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 all. But it seems like right now they are really in the uh, swing of things. So we've already planned for our next this coming summer uh, to take another trip. Uh, probably late July to early August uh, to visit the Doe's once again. And then, of course, God willing, we'll see them at the feast as well again. Mm -hmm. On this trip, maybe we'll be able to uh, get into Stockholm and also see uh, Paul Spencer mm -hmm. uh, there. We, we, we didn't try to see him last time because of time and, uh, and distance. We flew, Brian organized uh, airplane trips for most of this uh, previous summer's trip. Airplane uh, tickets were bought and uh, we flew from Helsinki to Kimi and back from Kimi to Helsinki and then to Oslo and uh, drove, we, he rented a car and drove us from Oslo up to Yilo. We flew. We drove back to Oslo and flew back to Thailand and took the bus <laughs> down to Tartu. I had I, I had heard about these legendary trips. You know, for people to understand the logistics of it, it takes about close to eight to ten days to make that round trip from Thailand to Helsinki to Kimi. Kimi is. Uh, about 500 miles north of Helsinki. So to give you an idea, that's kind of like from Cincinnati to Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And um, from Kimi, uh, if you were to go from Kimi to Yilo, that's about another 800 miles. So that would be about like from New York City to Atlanta. And so I know that you had done it originally by train and bus, and then mom and dad had kind of just always done the same sort of uh, method of transportation that you did with the, with the train and bus, you know, overnighting on the train. It's literally an overnight train from Helsinki up to Kimi. Mm -hmm. But I thought, well, I thought maybe it'd be more, you know, because of work and our minimal time schedule. I was trying to shorten that eight or 10 day trip down to like six or seven or maybe even eight. And I thought, well, maybe we'll fly. I thought maybe that might be more efficient. But what I failed to take into account was we were coming out of the pandemic. Uh, many, many people were trying to fly. Uh, the airports were just absolutely inundated with people who had been stuck at home for two and a half years. Uh, security lines were just unbelievably long. So you had to arrive at the airport a long period of time before your flight. And then the hassle of standing in the lines and so on and so forth. It really didn't turn out to be as efficient as I as I had thought. Uh -huh. So uh, I think this coming summer, when we go back, uh, we'll go back to the uh, the old uh, routine that you and uh, my parents had previously done. With the uh, we'll go to Helsinki, we'll get on the tra overnight train to Kimi. Uh, the Doe's will meet us at the uh, train station there, and then we'll spend a day and a half in Kimi, and then uh, probably take the bus from Kimi over to the border with Norway and then pick up the train and then take the train down to Yilo or to Oslo, then back up to Yilo. Uh, do it the old, kind of the old way that you, you have done it. My parents had done it in the past. 
I just uh, add that uh, whenever we go, it's a long ways to get to them, but they are so thankful and they're so interested in learning the things that maybe everybody else has learned over the years in church services and they haven't had a chance to do that. And so to them, everything that we can speak about, every subject is something new and something exciting. Well, I know that an important part of being a pastor is not just teaching people things from the Bible, but also like the Apostle Paul, when he went through the cities in Asia Minor, he went back to see how the brethren were doing. It's very important to be able to check up on people, to talk to them, to get feedback, to answer questions, to just have the touch. You know, you were mentioning about Paul Spencer. He has spent a thousand Sabbaths all by himself, as he's figured over the years, by himself. These people are by themselves all the time. And to have somebody from the outside, first of all, just show up, and number two, to care for them, means a lot, far more than we could even imagine. Yeah, we find it hard living, you know, here in the United States, living in the world from week to week. And, you know, we, we, we think that we're alone, but we're able to, to congregate, you know, on God's Sabbath and, and see each other and, and lift each other's spirits up and, and have a common bond. But, you know, those people just for half the year, you know, or sometimes even more than that in other places of the world, just don't see anybody else from, from God's church or they don't see God's people at all. No, well, not, it was two and a half years, and nobody nobody visited any of the people in Scandinavia because we couldn't get there. Mm-hmm. They went allowed. Well, Scandinavia, I found the best way really is, like you said, by trains and by ferries. I have taken a route that started, well, started in uh, <clears throat> Oslo, I went out west to uh, Yilo, then went through Sweden, and then went down through uh, Finland, another time through Denmark, up into Sweden. And the trains are fast, they're very, very fast, and you don't have the waiting time at airports and the uncertainty of a flight being canceled because of weather or whatever else. And I have really enjoyed the Eurail Pass type of thing, the ScanRail Pass. <clears throat> you pay one price, and then for like 10 days or two weeks, you can go anywhere you want to uh, on, on any train. Yeah, I haven't seen any of that uh, in the last five, six, seven years, uh, Victor. Mm-hmm. They seem to have done away with all of that. And there's, <clears throat> and there's a time of inflation that almost resembles the United States going on in a lot of those uh, countries. Right. Those countries are expensive to travel in, very, very expensive to travel in. In fact, on a couple of different trips uh, where I, I had been on, the, the, uh, their currency and also the euro was about one and a half times more than what it is right now, and everything just seemed shockingly expensive. We, we did rent a car to drive from Oslo to Yilo to see Monday Doe, and I had to fill the car up with gas before we took it back to the rental car you see at the airport in Oslo, and we paid uh, $10 a gallon for gas. Mm, yeah. yeah. You got it that cheap, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we and have- that, was a, that was a small car, thankfully, but it was still $100 to fill up a tank that was only about, you know, 10 or 11 gallons. <laughs> at that point, we were languishing for $5 a gallon gas. Yeah. Oh, the meek, leeks and onions of the United States. <laughs> the, the, the U.S. Is, is so cheap. I remember in uh, Norway, you know, going out to eat, it was just shockingly expensive. So we went to McDonald's at the train station. It had, you know, the tables had, you know, food on them, you know, the <laughs> scraps of food. And the s- cheapest thing was about $20, you know, a wrap, $20. And we, <laughs> we, we, we paid about $40 for a meal at McDonald's. And so uh, that's part of the reality of having to go there and um, why not many people involved with this. And that's why I appreciate so much the sacrificial work of Johnny Lambert. I just want to make it clear to everybody is that God has brought people in 
that not only had the means but also the heart to be able to continue what he's doing. Johnny, one thing I'd like to have you tell us about is about the apartment that you have acquired there in Tartu and what you do with it. I know that you haven't been able to go back to your own property in two and a half years, but uh, tell us about it. Well, in 2005, uh, we were making these trips, sometimes like four trips a year, and we were staying in uh, the Palace Hotel for the most part. And uh, the price of staying in the Palace Hotel for like if we were there for two and a half, three weeks sometimes, uh, the, the money that we were spending <clears throat> doing that sort of justified getting a separate place where we could, where we could live and uh, do this. So I, I uh, started ruminating on that uh, idea, and I thought, well, if we can just find some place, it doesn't have to be a fancy place. And there weren't very many fancy places in Estonia at that time. A lot of older buildings. So I thought, well, if we can find a place where we can put a bed, maybe have a hot plate and cook some food there, then that would that would be good and it would save a lot of money. So that's what I was intent on finding. And, and this is one of the places where I would look at God intervened on our behalf. I was, I was starting to look for a place like that. And uh, all of a sudden, a couple of people came in. I, I won't give you their names, but came in and, and gave us very substantial amounts of money. And uh, they didn't even know we were looking for a place and contributed that to us. And we were able to buy this apartment, which was... Um, by the square foot, considerably more expensive than something similar in the United States would be. But uh, it, 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 some, it's a place where we've been able to live uh, really at, at least to the lifestyle that we have here in this country, although it's small. It's only a thousand square feet. And so we were able to get our printing operation. We bought a printer. Uh, just before the COVID restrictions came, and uh, it, it, it's really a, a nice uh, Xerox printer to be able to print the literature and, and send it out, and it's there in the apartment. We have an inventory of all of the booklets that we we have uh, in the in in the apartment, and also the Bible course lessons. And anytime anybody sends anything to us, we uh, respond to them by sending them a copy of the Gospel of the Kingdom in the, whatever language seems most appropriate. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's been it's been a very good place for for us to live, and uh, we lived very well. You you've been there, and of course Beverly's been there. She was the she was the cleaning brigade there for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's, it's, been, it's been very good for us. It's, it's, uh, everything uh, works pretty good. We, when we go to Estonia, I'm supposed to speak uh, in either Buffalo or Elmira, and sometimes in both places we have video, and we video uh, the services that we had there in, in uh, Tartu back to wherever it's appropriate in the United States. So it's, it's been a good piece of real estate for us and a good investment. And we're, we're very thankful. And as I said, this is, this is not something that ordinary happens, ordinarily happens. Somebody just comes in and offers you like a, a large percentage of the money that you need to do something like this. Well, I know that's the way God helps us out. We, we make a commitment and God provides the means. I might say that I have stayed at that apartment a couple of different times, uh, at least once with Beverly. I think every single time with, with Beverly. And it, we were able to do the work, visit with people, have a place that we could kind of, you know, have a night where we're relaxed rather than just go, go, go and not being certain where we're going to stay and then preparing our messages and the things that we have to say, writing things, 
you know, travel is not easy. It's not as glamorous yeah. as people think it is. It's very tiring. But then you think of what, what am I doing this for? Who is it for? And we found that having that base of operations that's only about like 15 miles as a crow flies from Russia, you know, in Tartu, Estonia, to, to be a place that uh, I felt God provided for the work there. Plus, being able to do some of the mailings as we did from Tartu to people. This is all part of a seed sowing project, and God is going to look very kindly on the work that Johnny uh, has done. Just on the work that I've done, as I said earlier, we wouldn't even been there if it hadn't been for you. But. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the, the nice things, but then God has given me opportunities that are way, way beyond my, say, punching ability, and I just feel very grateful for them. And I guess one of the things with me is that when God gives me things like travel opportunities, I've told this to others. I like to share it with others. I like others to appreciate the things that God has given me, whether I have traveled to India or Singapore or Hong Kong or other places. I have appreciated having somebody else who can share in it, who can get excited about it, could have the same kind of almost a childlike enthusiasm about doing something. But the biggest thing of all is our relationship and our relating to people and being able to pass a message that God has given to us a message of hope and a message of eternal life. I would just say that, uh, Mr. Kubik, uh, I think about Revelation 3 and the Philadelphia church and God's opening doors that no man can shut, even though the uh, door was shut for a little while during the pandemic. And obviously we're dealing with the results of that. But once again, we're seeing that that door is not being able to be completely shut. And once again, it's opening back up. And I think God has uh, opened many doors and many opportunities for many people to serve there. And uh, if they'd like to get involved, we could always use more manpower. Uh, the fields are certainly ripe for harvest, but we need the laborers. And I think, you know, and God will provide those for us. Thank you very much, Johnny. Really appreciate it all the work well, thank you I thank you for the opportunity to do it and we've just been great and Brian we want to thank you very much for uh, upcoming and helping your dad but also helping in the work has been fantastic thank you Bryant we thank you our listeners for joining us here today for the cubic report if you have enjoyed this podcast please share it and tell your friends about it we can be found on a variety of platforms including podbean which includes information about this podcast, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, Pocketcaster, and other podcasting platforms. You can easily find us on any browser address bar by simply typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your impressions and suggestions. So write to us at thecubic at gmail.com. V-K-U-B-I-K at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.